It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Nature has always called Bonita Skinner, and now she's getting to live off-grid in a forest. It's not always easy, but she loves it. Bonita is celebrating 20 years of quilting this month of June in 2021. I'm sure you're going to love her unique style. Benita, thanks for joining me on A Quilter's Life. Thanks for inviting me, Paula. It's great to have you today. Let's start with your background. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Toronto, Ontario, raised there most of my life and lived there in and around Ontario up until my 30s, my late 30s. Oh, wow. Do you have a special childhood memory during that time? Oh, yes. (laughs) They're both sewing related, funny enough, though. I was staying with an aunt when I was six, an aunt and uncle, and my aunt gave me my first spool of thread. It was a light blue, and the spool was black. To this day, I've not seen another one of those. And she gave me a needle, too. And as I think about that, that's quite advanced for a six-year-old to have a needle. <laughs> that was my first. But my favorite one of those kind of memories is I have a second mom. And she took me and my sister and brother to the what is known as a five and dime, which I think called Woolworths or something. And we got to each kick out a treat. We got to spend like ages deciding what we wanted, but I knew right away what I wanted, and I got my first pin cushion with pins inside, and a spool of my favorite green, a spring green thread. Wow. Can you describe the (laughs) pin cushion? It was just this plastic container that was an octagon, and it had a sponge at the top, so that's where you would put your pins, but the inside the container the clear container was all the pins you could use. And I sewed Barbie clothes, so this was the thing I was going to use this for. Oh, neat. Yeah, it was very special. And up until my sewing box got stolen, I had those with me, both the six-year-old thread and then the pin cushion and the green thread, too. How sad that your pin cushion was stolen. Well, it was a whole sewing box, so the little sewing box with all that stuff. Yeah, I was quite sad of it to this day. It's like, ah, I would still have all of that if it hadn't been. Oh, how sad. Really, really sad. How about your employment? Well, I got married young, and then I decided I wanted children young, so I was a young mom, and I didn't go for a career, but I've always been self-employed and always have had a kind of job. So when I was in my 20s and was a young mom, I published a consumer magazine called Smart Shoppers. And I had that for about 10 years, and I got to run it out of my house and everything. It was really good. And then I moved on, and for a while I sold used clothes. But then when I discovered quilting in my 30s, it was all, like, from there I was just quilting. And one of my first quilts that I made The Quilt Guild just loved it and asked me to teach a workshop about it. And that's sort of where my career went from there. So I've not looked back since then. 
Oh, neat. So you were part of a quilt guild during that time. I joined the quilt guild when I discovered how much quilting was really what I was looking for. I'd done all kinds of thread art before, then knitting and cross-stitch and embroidery and all kinds of things, sewing, sewing clothes, but none of it was fully satisfying to me. And then when I made my first real quilt, and that became it. Playing with fabric is my thing. Yeah. (laughs) And quilting is a really good way to express that. Like clothing is also a way to play with fabric, but just for me, the flat picture of a quilt, the visual of it is what I enjoy. Yeah. Can you share with me where you live now and how you got there from where you were born and raised? I'll start with the in-between. I first moved from Ontario to northern British Columbia into a small town that was really in the middle of northern wilderness. And that's why the opportunity came up and I was just starting my website and I could do all that online. Nature has always called me, even when I've lived in big cities, I've had to find somewhere natural to walk. So that was like, to me, I was going to go live in my own National Geographic in a way, where the grizzly bears lived and the bobcats and the cougars. And the house I had was on the edge of this wilderness. And that was lovely, but the town I lived in wasn't fun. (laughs) So we ended up looking for another place. And that's how I found where I am now. I live in Nova Scotia in a forest. And it's a lovely place to live. And I don't have to worry about grizzly bears or cougars. And the bears that do live here are black bears, and they're kind of scaredy bears. So I've only seen three since I've lived here. So, yeah, again, I'm living in my own National Geographic. So I have to tell you, people that live in the city seem to see way more animals than I do. (laughs) Because I live in a forest, they get to not pass my house. You know what I mean? They get to go a little further and and I don't see deer that much hardly ever I get to see deer tracks in the winter or the bobcats tracks in the winter but in general I don't get to see them I put out a trail cam or something I did enjoy the rabbit that you posted the other day that was so cute those small ones actually I think they get a comfort close to the house because the bigger animals that eat them (laughs) don't (laughs) come so close (laughs) So the rabbits take comfort here. The grouse live close to the house, too. And I do get porcupines visiting and raccoons and skunks occasionally walk through. But the bigger ones, like the deer, I never see them. That's amazing because we're in a subdivision and the deer come through and eat our flowers all the time. That's what I mean. (laughs) Or the raccoons getting into the garbage or the skunks. And it's just like, no, no, not here. Huh. I used to leave my bedroom window wide open in the hot summer. And one night, one of my cats, when I used to let them be outside, stayed out for the night. And I left the bedroom door open so that he could escape if he needed to somehow, even though whatever could have been chasing him could still come in there too. But I just thought it was a place. And then at 4 o'clock in the morning, the other cats I have were excited at the window for a while. And then they dashed away from the window, and I just went back to sleep because I figured they ran to the main room to look out the window there. So then all of a sudden I heard a bit of scratching on the screen, and in my groggy thinking, I'm thinking, oh, that's the cat scratching the screen. You're not allowed to do that, so I yelled. And then it still kept happening, and then I looked, but I wear glasses, so 
I couldn't see well, and all I saw was this big black blob in front of my window. Oh, no. And I just assumed it was a raccoon trying to get in the window, so I just yelled again, and this big black blob didn't move, so I jumped out of bed and put my glasses on, and it was a young bear, and he was putting his claw in the window <laughs> screen. That's what I was hearing, and no wonder the cats ran away. He was just sitting there, and he was so cute, and he was so curious, but I know that you can't get friendly with these. Not that I didn't want to. He was awesome. But if I got friendly with him, then he wouldn't be scared of other humans and other humans would want to hunt him. It's not good to humanize these wild animals. So I knew I had to scare him away. But the first thing I had to do was shut the windows. So I was only literally six feet from the window. So I walked to the window and I put the window all the way down and he didn't move. But then as soon as it was only like six inches open. Then I started yelling and screaming at him going, go, go, go. And trying to get him to go away. And I knew my cat was out there too. So I was a little concerned, not that bears chase cats or anything. Anyways. So he's all confused looking at me like, what did I do wrong? But I knew I had to scare him. So I kept scaring him, kept scaring him. He got a little irritated and knocked one of my little solar lamps I had outside down and then finally ran off. And so then I was a little nervous to step outside because I didn't know how far off he was. But I had to find out if my cat was around. Plus, I had the trail cam set up right there. Coincidentally, it was just really a neat coincidence. So I did step out for a sec and I called my cat. He didn't come, but I grabbed the trail cam and I came back in and I checked the pictures. And what the pictures showed was my cat sitting there and then three minutes later, my cat's gone and the bear is coming around the corner and going into the mudroom. And then it shows other parts of this whole interaction with me, like when he hit the solar lights, he actually turned back and looked at me. You could see in the camera that he, he turned back and he looked at me. It was like his way of going, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it took about a half an hour for my cat to finally come back. And when I picked him up, he just looked at me and seeing his face, do you know what just happened to me? And I said, I know, Ash, I saw, I saw the bear. Wow. And he just melted in my arms. It was really, but yeah, that was a really cool bear encounter. Had one since I scared away pretty much right away, but he wasn't at my window, and I don't leave my window wide open anymore ever. <laughs> Thinking how strong they are, it could have just come right through your screen, couldn't it? He so could have, but he was just so curious and smart. You could just see he wasn't interested in hurting me. And black bears don't want to eat people; they don't. There might be an occasional one somewhere that might, but in general, it's not something that I'm scared of. And especially the ones here, they are known to be scared of people. Mm-hmm. So anyways, it was a lovely encounter and I was sad I had to make him run away from me. I was just, yeah, that was sad. Yeah, but you knew you were doing it for his own good. Yes, so that down the road, someone else wasn't going to be able to get him yeah. easily. Now, did you want to share anything about living off the grid? I don't live this rough, and I do live rough. I have no running water, so I have to bring up water from a local spring. I also have a neighbor who will fill jugs for me out of her well, so that's lovely. And I have limited electricity because my turbine is broken, and I have solar panels but the batteries are very old. So 
in the wintertime when not much sun comes in or even on super cloudy days in the summertime, I can run out of electricity. But I've learned to live with all of that, and I'm good with all of that because I rarely hear cars, and I mostly <laughs> hear birds, and the trade-off to me is fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the animals that I do see and the encounters I have, I've had some very meaningful encounters with things like a porcupine last year and very cool encounter with a bobcat a few years ago. All of that to me is also very worth it. I just, nature is where I find most peace. Yeah. I think nature's really neat, but I think you're really brave. This didn't just happen. Because I lived close to wilderness in British Columbia, I got to see that animals aren't interested in seeing you. So if they hear you, they're gone. And so you're a lot safer out there than you think you are. So that helped. And then the longer I lived here, the more I... No, I don't see things, so I'm okay <laughs> walking down the laneway to go get my mail. I have heard a bear occasionally, but all I have to say is, hey, bear, and the bear moves along. He doesn't want to see me. I just have to not scare him and surprise him, I should say. Yeah. Bear surprise would not be a good thing. Well, you talked a little bit about some other crafts that you did in the past. Do you still do any of those? Not recently. I did knit some socks a few years ago, but other than that, no, once quilting hit, that was it for me. I do a lot of embroidery on my quilting as quilting, like the blanket stitch along applique edging. I do that a lot, and I use it as the quilting of the quilt. So I guess, in a way, I, embroidery is something else I do, but in general, no. Quilting is it. Playing with fabric. How about other hobbies? Obviously, watching... Wildlife is one. Yeah, and the walks through the wilderness. I do writing. Because of the move here, the train trip across the country and everything, I just thought I'd put out a couple of essays for my members and just let them know what was happening because they were all very curious that I was moving to here. And so I wrote these three essays, and they were really good. And people liked them and said, keep going. They are called my off-grid adventure letters, and for a while they were public. I couldn't say things I wanted to say because it was too public, so I made them available just to the members of my site, and I've been writing them since. So I write, I wouldn't call it a hobby, though. I do enjoy a, a storytelling kind of writing where I tell the stories like the bear that I just mm-hmm. told you. That's so neat. Was there something else you were going to add on the hobbies? I do love watching movies, and I have a bunch of shows. I don't do a lot of watching, watching, because I don't have television here, but I can stream stuff online. So usually I have a show a day or a part of a movie a day that I'll do with my dinners, that kind of thing, if that's a hobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about who introduced you to quilting. The show Little House on the Prairie <laughs> oh, cool. was the first time my mom sewed clothes, but my parents are European. There was nothing quilting in their background at all. But show Little House on the Prairie, I saw the quilt and I loved them right from them. And when I was 13, I told you I made Barbie clothes. So I got some scrap fabrics from my mom and different places and, and would make Barbie clothes. But I also, at 13, I had a cardboard square and I cut patches around and I sewed them into nine patches. And it's not good. <laughs> it's not cotton it's all kinds of things from the fake fur my mom used to make a puppet for my brother and satin for my grandmother's blouse and none of the 
nine patches in a row match with the row above. I guess <laughs> I've never made it a full quilt, but that is the very first quilt top that I ever made. And I still have it. I still treasure it and, and love my mom's apron fabric. And I can go back and remember all that stuff. Oh, what neat memories. That is one of my favorite things about quilting is when you use those scraps, scraps that are from clothing and that kind of thing, you get those kind of memories out of it. And I love the trends of taking old shirts from a grandfather and making them into memory quilts and things like that, just because people remember the clothing that they wore. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite quilt? Yeah, that's a hard question. <laughs> After t- <laughs> Years of doing the online designing, I have over a hundred quilts. My favorite favorite would be my Victoriana album quilt, just because it's an album quilt. That's like the penultimate in quilting. I sent you a picture of that one. But I also love my Stuffies collection of baby quilts. Those are just adorable. And then my artsier quilts, like my Bubbles or Cubism. And then my scraps, like <laughs> scraps galore. Yeah, I just, sorry, those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, each one is so precious in its own way. It's, yeah, some people yeah. have a favorite, some people don't. But yeah, that's, that's neat. How about a tool that you use in quilting? Do you have one that just really stands out that you just couldn't do without? Yes, and as a matter of fact, it's my very first rotary cutter. It's a Kai, and I don't even know if Kai still sells this kind. It retracts all by itself. You don't have to close it. So it's the pushing down of the rotary cutter onto the fabric that makes it unretract, so it brings the blade out. And it's so safe and has worked for me all these years. I've never replaced it. I do have other rotary cutters, but I've never used them like I do that one. So I would say that. And besides, is the rotary cutter and the mat not revolutionary in quilting? Mm -hmm. That totally changed. When I was 13, I was cutting squares out using a cardboard as a guide. There wasn't rotary cutting back then, but that totally changed how quilting goes. Yeah. Well, that really sounds so safe. You would think other companies would be copying that. You would think. I don't like having to have to remember to close it after. Mm Mm-hmm. So do you have a favorite part of the quilting process or do you like all the steps? Well, you kind of have to grow to like all of it (laughs) or you would never finish quilts. But I have favorites. The designing and the imagining is amazing. Like that always is exciting and you get to go pick your fabrics and all of that. But you have to then get through all the slog to get to the final product, right? So it's good to enjoy the process along the way. So I do love the piecing and watching the thing grow with the fabrics because in your imagination, that doesn't mean that's exactly how it's turning out. So the seeing the actual fabrics in play and all of that, that's probably my favorite of the process. And you just know that's going to get you to the end, so you best get going on it. (laughs) So I do love the quilting as well for the same reason where it's, brings it to life when you're making it that 3D with the quilting, when you're adding that stitching, that just brings that top to life when it's got the batting and the backing behind it. There's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. Share your worst quilting experience. 
I have to say, I can't say I really have any except for some unsewing things. Now, I did have one that was a lot of unsewing, and that was like hours and hours of work of sewing had to be unsewn and then put back again. That was probably the worst. But other than that, no, I've not. I've been really pretty lucky. I guess I try not to rush through and think things out in advance to save me from making mistakes. So not everything always turns out the way I want, but I wouldn't call that a mistake. Right. It's trying it and you see how it goes. And a certain fabric doesn't always work like you think it's going to. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we covered this already a bit, but why do you make quilts rather than spend your time on doing something else? I don't really have a good answer to that. <laughs> I have to play with fabric. <laughs> fabric calls me. Fabric inspires me. Other things inspire me to want to make things of fabric that are inspired by it. And like I had said, as soon as I discovered, not the 13-year-old quilt, but the one after, the very first quilt that I actually fully made, once I discovered that, there was no looking back. It was just like tunnel vision for quilting after that. Yeah. Putting the, the fabrics together and all of that. I do love that, the combining which is why if I was a designer of clothing, which when I was younger thought I was going to do, no one would want to wear my clothes because they would be like quilts with all the different <laughs> <laughs> You would be standing out if you wore those as clothing, but as quilts, so it's perfectly okay. <laughs> Although lately I've been seeing some posts about quilted coats or jackets, and I'm thinking that is pretty neat. I've made one once. A checkerboard pink and black coat, like a blazer. Mm-hmm. But I only ever wore it in public once. It, quite, <laughs> it stood out. It was pink and black check. <laughs> it might be coming back into style. Maybe. I don't have it anymore. <laughs> there was only so much I could move here because I live in a pretty tiny house. So uh-huh. I don't have everything I used to have. Yeah. Like clothing. I gave up clothing. When you live in a forest, you don't need dress-up clothes. (laughs) So I have very few of those. That makes sense. Who do you make your quilts for? They started out for family and then friends. And then once I started putting my quilts as patterns, then it was just for teaching and patterns. But some of those still go to family and friends. But in general, it's the design that I want to put together as opposed to making a quilt for somebody mostly. Mm-hmm. So I've made some wedding quilts for family and I'm in the middle of one right now for my niece who's also my goddaughter and I'm slowly going to get that to her <laughs> as a sideline. I haven't really put it online too much. If anybody's remembering that I was showing tulips a little while ago, that's what her, oh, her wedding signature quilt yeah. is. Yeah, it's a field of tulips. Wow going to be a field of tulips. (laughs) All the tulips are signed. Well, that was my next question. What are you working on right now? So I guess it's that quilt, or do you have other stuff going on too? Oh, yes, always more than one. I have two that I'm almost finished. They're samplers. The first one is called If I Drive, and both of these come with companion e-books so that there's a storybook to go along with the quilts when it's finished. Oh, wow. And the If I Drive has things like rocket and airplane and car and bicycle and it's fun. And I've got one more block to go and then putting it together. And then the other one is called Storyland and it's all the traditional story rhymes like 
the old lady who lives in a shoe and Jack be nimble and the blocks all are those. And then the book that goes with it are those rhymes. And yeah, with that one, I still have two blocks to go, but they're getting close. I already have in my mind exactly how they're going to finish off. So I'm excited about them. Wow. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I like it though. I get an idea. And plus, I, you know, the stack of ideas in my head that I still want to get to. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Can you share a quilting tip? The most important one, I think, would be, and just everybody knows, is measure twice and cut once. It's really just meaning slow down and think about what you're about to do because there's nothing more frustrating than cutting your fabric wrong and having to redo it. It's not so bad if it's a little too big, but if it's too small and yet go get more fabric or something, yes. One of my favorites would be, because I taught myself quilting, I don't do it necessarily like the rest of the quilting world. And I love flat seams. So I do not press over my seams. I've never liked the bulk of that. So when I'm putting my patches together, there's no nesting of seams. But my favorite tip for that is using perpendicular pinning. And basically you put a pin in those one seam to the other and you hold it straight up and down with your your fingers underneath mm-hmm. and then as you're holding that pin straight up and down you put in another pin in where the seam folds over you put another pin in there at an angle and because you're doing it that way it doesn't shift when you go to pin it because you've held it straight up and down where if you just imagine where it's supposed to go and then you just go and put the pin in your seam will shift every time but this keeps your seams matching much better I call it perpendicular pinning. <laughs> yeah. That's the way I was taught to do it. It so takes away the headache of the shifting seams, and then you want to have to unsew it again because sometimes seams really, really need to match up to get the effect nicely, yeah. Though I do think little mistakes in quilts just make it charming. It's not bad. It's just charming and go with it. It's a big deal to take apart. Don't take it apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Describe how you went from having quilting as a hobby to having a business with it. Well, I did cover this a little bit. I made a checkerboard as my first full quilt. It was a gift for my sister's wedding. And then right after that, I had joined the guild and I had made some pillows. But I had seen a person talking about quilting and they had been an architect and they had changed from an architect to a quilter. When I was sitting there listening to the lecture, I thought, I love Victorian houses, and I can make a Victorian house quilt. And I went home, and a month later, I brought to the next meeting my finished quilt. It's in the gallery of my site. It's called Victorian Manor. Again, just off the top of my head, no one taught me this. It was basically like I embroidered the bricks. At the time, you couldn't buy any fabrics with the bricks on it or the anything they've got now. This was so I mostly used solids, and it turned out really good. That the guild, I held it up. I was just a brand new member, and I held it up. And there's nothing like a room full of 150 women. I think it was that many, all going <gasps> at the same time. <laughs> I went home buzzing on cloud nine for a week after that, but they loved the quilt. And then this other guild I also belonged to loved the quilt. And the the other guild, Georgian Bay Quilters Guild, they asked me if I would come up with a workshop to teach my method of making this quilt. So I did. I went 
and I made a simpler version. It's called Victorian House. And I started teaching that as a workshop. And then I started traveling a little bit teaching it. And then I started teaching workshops out of my house because there's not enough people that want to make a Victorian house. So I started a beginner's workshop. And then once I started doing that, I started creating these files that are techniques, that are just the different techniques of quilting that I could use as handouts for my workshop. And these are now on my website under the library under techniques. These are all, it's a book. If you get them all, they're all free and you can print them out and it makes a how-to book of quilting with all the different techniques. And I use those files with the patterns I still write to this day. So if I'm telling somebody, for example, my favorite kind of applique is basting applique where I baste over the seams first and then applique them down onto the background. Well, if I'm telling them in my pattern to do that kind of applique, I just put brackets and put that name and they can then go read my how-to and it tells them all. So it keeps my patterns smaller because the how-tos are basically all the same. Mm-hmm. So once I had those how-tos all together, the internet started becoming a thing. And I thought, what a perfect place to do my quilting. I could do quilt patterns. So I just started making up a website. <laughs> and my son, who did go to school for computer science, basically showed me how to use two programs and said, here's how you do it, mom. And if you ever make a mistake, just undo. <laughs> and from there, I created my website and my patterns and I put it online 20 years ago this month as a matter of fact and a couple months after that is when I moved to BC but I could move to BC into the small town because my Victorian occult designs is online so you can run that anywhere so that's basically how I've done it. So Victoriana quilt designs came from the quilts you originally made or designed? Well, uh, Victorian things have always interested me. And Victoriana is a kind of, as I understand it, where women used to cut out the, or girls used to cut out the cards and things of the day and then paste them in scrapbooks or paste them on screens and as a collage. And that's known as Victoriana. And I love that name and I love that collage. (laughs) And on the main page of my website, I've got that in the border. So that's where the name came from. So how does it feel to hit 20 years of quilt designs? It's a little mind-blowing. I'm having a lot of fun this month. On all my social medias, I've been sharing quilts that people have made for my patterns, and that's been a lot of fun to go back and look at all of those. It's a big number. (laughs) I'm quite humbled that I'm still here and still doing it and still have a good core of people that are rooting me on. And share your website so people know where to find you. It's www.victorianaquiltdesigns.com, and I'll spell it. V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-N-A-Q-U-I-L-T-E-E-S-I-G-N-S.com. Great. I would like to say that quilting has sure changed since then. Back when I went online with all my quilt patterns were always PDFs that you could get through email or download. And back then... It was sort of snubbed that 
quilt patterns should be in PDFs and they weren't rarely done then. And now there isn't anybody who puts out quilt patterns that doesn't have PDF versions of it. It's kind of an interesting change. So you were ahead of your time. I guess so. I was ahead of blogs. Even when blogs came along, people would say, I like your blog. And I'd like, no, I have a website. It isn't just a blog. (laughs) (laughs) I have a blog now. I finally got a blog a few years ago, but I think I got on the bandwagon of blogs too late because I have very few followers on my blog. I don't publish much there anymore. It was more a place for me to be able to say how my creations happened and I got a good couple of years of sharing that and then now I still fill in but it's not like I publish there all the time anymore. Mm-hmm. Benita, is there anything else you'd like to share with me? Well, I want to thank you for asking me. I feel kind of honored that you asked. I appreciate it. Well, when I came across you on Facebook, you intrigued me and I thought, I need to talk to this person. I've had so much fun visiting with you today. Me too. Like I said, thanks again for asking me. I'm stoked that you did. Oh, great. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also... I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.